Welcome to Managing Marketing and today I'm at the offices of DDB Sydney and sitting down with Andrew Little who's the CEO of DDB Australia. Welcome Andrew. Thank you very much Darren. Nice, happy to, happy to be here. Now you've been here quite a long time, it'd be two decades wouldn't it? Much, Almost. I just celebrated 19 years so this is my 20th year in the business across the Melbourne business and the Sydney business. Yeah. So that means I started uh, P3 yes. around the same time you Absolutely. went to DDB. Absolutely. Yes. Interesting. Two success stories, Darren. Two success well, stories. Well, absolutely. But uh, look, uh, it's an interesting time, isn't it? To be, it I is. imagine to be CEO of a uh, agency is. network. It is absolutely. There's um, there's a hell of a lot of change going on, but equally, sometimes I like to think that nothing's changed at all. Isn't that interesting? Well, what would you say hasn't changed? Because it's interesting, I see more change happening to the industry. Yeah. And I see people running around trying to keep up with the change. Yeah. But what do you think is not changing? Human beings. Well, that's true, you know. 100,000 um, years of evolution and we still uh, exactly. take our pants off. And it'll take hundreds of thousands of years for it to change. Look, the things that aren't changing are for the big briefs and the big opportunities that we're seeing day to day, the need to drive big, famous campaigns that um, attract talkability and sharing amongst consumers are the same now as they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, how information is shared and how it's distributed between customers is changing dramatically, but the need for big, creative ideas and or solutions for clients are unchanging. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because marketers seem to really struggle with what they see as a demand for getting results in the short term. Because mm -hmm. most of these big ideas are really about longer term growth, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think where, where potentially marketers have gone wrong is swapping one out for the other. And we would never suggest that you do both the long-term and the short-term sales activations to create real growth uh, for your business. And I think with the proliferation of media, there's so many different people selling at a CMO now, it's been very difficult to navigate uh, the winds of that change. But what we can see now, and we can prove it um, via real results, is that when you do long-term fame and brand building campaigns at the same time as tactical sales initiatives, you'll get unprecedented growth. But those long-term activities mm -hmm. do need a longer-term strategy, don't they? I think every brand needs a longer-term strategy. I think ve it's very, very easy for either CMOs and agencies, for that matter, to chop and change strategies too quickly. If you think about the great strategies in Australia, in the Australian landscape, um, Amy, lucky you're with Amy. What a fantastic long-term platform that's been in market now, I think, for at least three decades mm -hmm. uh, and remains to this day, uh, delivered by that customer, um, customer service person mm -hmm. at the end. It's just a great example of a brand that stuck to its guns all those years and delivered that and delivered great advertising time and time again off the same strategy. And they actually end up owning the sort of the elements 
of that campaign as well. As you say, you know, the customer service yep. uh, person from Amy yep. or Double AMI yep. um, is the same as the Singapore girl or, you yep. know, God forbid, the um, Marlboro cowboy. Yes, God forbid. <laughs> no, but it's <laughs> on to heaven, that's, apparently. Yeah, uh, well, good luck to him. Um, no, absolutely right. I think, you know, the way that that brand has has come to life, I suppose, creatively, has had that vein of consistency for, for decades. And I think more Australian brands should stick to its knitting strategically and then like an anchor that's in the sand, the boat can move around at the top, but it's always anchored to that one strategic thing. But Andrew, there must be huge pressure on CMOs that when they're appointed to a brand, a company, that they need to make change. You know, so how does a CMO come into a new role? Because they've been you know, either appointed because the last CMO has moved on or has been pushed out. Mm-hmm. So they need to come in and make a stand, yes, make I, a mark. I think, I think that's fair. And I think it's really just the mandate by which they come in. Um, if, if the previous CMO has been moved on, there'll be a specific reason for that from the board and from the CEO. Um, and the mandate may, might be make the change because what we're doing now is not working. Um, equally, it, a CMO might be coming in because that person's just moved on um, and they say, well, what we're doing now is working, so I need to continue that, if not make that better. Um, so I think it's just apples for apples. I think that the case will change. Do I think that there is an opportunity for cons- more consistency in this space? Yes, I think so. I think it's too easy for a new CMO to come in and just make a change for change's sake. So I do see that from time to time as well. Because I'll pick you up on that point about it's not working. It really does depend what the measure is of what's working and what isn't, doesn't it? Oh, yes. I think, um, you know, if it's softer measures, then everything's arguable. But if it's fundamentally not working and the board and the the customer base is not increasing or they're not selling enough widgets, then that pressure will come to bear. And And then it comes down to what's not working. Have we been too tactically focused Mm. and lost brand consideration or vice versa? Have we spent all of our money and we've got enough brand consideration and we're not converting? So they're the the things where we talk about you must be focusing on brand consideration and your tactical work at the same time. And when those both things are working well together, that's when you're achieving great results. Because I think it was the IPA produced a paper where they looked at a you know, a whole range of um, campaigns that have won effectiveness awards. And yeah, they've come up with a formula almost of how much to invest in long term right. brand building yep. and how much to put in short term tactical, didn't yep. they? I think they got to 70 30, 70% long term, 30% tactically, and they used thousands of FE papers to prove that out. They can prove that when you do long term and tactical together at those ratios, you will outperform the market significantly from sales and profit. So these are the great things that we've fundamentally believed with, that were there, thereabouts right, but we're never able to prove it. Now we can prove it. Well, they've got some fact-based they analysis do. that yes. shows. And yet it, it, I imagine there's marketers that hear this and go, that seems the wrong way around. Shouldn't it be 70% tactical well, and 30% long-term? Yeah. Um, maybe. Uh, no, from my point of view, and I think that the data would suggest that. Um, where I think the world got to, for many clients, is completely the inverse. Um, if any brand at all. Let's take a category like FMCG, 
okay? Mm -hmm. They were the biggest advertising spenders. So 20 years ago, when you and I were starting out in DDB and you were developing your business, the FMCG brands, the Cadbury's, the Simplots, they were the biggest advertisers or some of the biggest advertisers in the country and generally some of the most creative advertisers in in the country. And they would create fantastic work that generated a groundswell of support for their brands and it drove customers into Coles or Woolworths. As time has progressed, that whole category, more or less, there are some exceptions of course, but more or less that whole category has been driven into the tactical, which is more and more money to Coles and Woolworths for their catalogues or whatever else to maintain shelf space with the pressures of the own brands from from those um, big retailers. And that's come at the expense of brand marketing. And where we are today is nowhere. Many of these clients are facing being delisted from shelves if they haven't already, and, and supplying to the, the um, Woolworths or Coles branded products that sit on shelves. So for me, that's a classic example of where a whole category got their priorities wrong mm. and should have been doing both but for whatever reason, decided to push it all into tactics. And this is no doubt um, pressure from boards and and management groups and directors, and that's, I think, down through the CMO. But gee, there's, you know, I don't know how you reverse that now. It's been at least a decade in the making. Well, some of it is this whole focus on delivering the quarterly results. You know, if I take 70% of my marketing budget and put it into long-term strategies, which could take two years, three years to actually show results, mm-hmm. or I put it into sharing it with the retail partners yep. to actually get more shelf on space, get promotional price off yep. focus, yep. and actually move product off, off the shelves, yep. even at a reduced margin. Yep. So I think in the same way that it took a long time for brand to shift down to tactical, it's going to take the same amount of time to move it back. I think the headline of 7030 is a good one because it allows a CMO to sit there and go, cripes, I'm the opposite of that. Maybe I need to arrest some balance issues here. And maybe it's year one, a 10% shift back into brand. Year two, it's 20%. And you move back up to more of an equilibrium. That's what we would recommend. Never to just do one or the other, because I take your point. You know, we're working with some big public companies where always the pressure is on the entire business to deliver those um, quarterly results. We are a public company. Omnicom is a public company. And equally, the pressure is on for quarterly results, right? Th- those, those fundamentals don't change. But unless you arrest it, well, God help us! It's it's where you know you're nowhere. You'll you'll go down the the same path as the FMCG example I used previously. And this is not just in Australia because we just read recently that uh, 3G, the Brazilian investment company that bought Craft uh, Heinz, mm-hmm. has now written down those brands by I think it was 15 billion dollars mm-hmm. US mm-hmm. because they said the brands aren't as valuable as they thought they no. were. Well, it just shows what happens when you cut your costs Absolutely. and stop investing in the long-term brand value. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the more that we can do CMOs, agencies and the industry more broadly to prove the worth of what we do at a board level, the better we're going to go. So I know there's a lot of work going on at the Comms Council in this space and at the AANA as well. And I think the more work we do here around educating CEOs and boards and, and directors of the, in this space mm-hmm. of the value of what we do, the better we'll go. Now, 
agencies are having to adapt. You know, the CMO comes in, the new CMO runs a pitch sometimes yep. or, you know, rationalises the roster that they already have. Yep. They're also looking for solutions beyond just the pitch. You know, we've seen the rise, especially in the US, of taking agency resources in-house. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about that? Do you think this is a trend that's going to continue or do you think it's an aberration? Um, in terms of taking agency um, resource in-house, it, it, I would argue that that's happening at a very base level at the moment. It's either um, studio-based work, which is which is automations taking over that part of the business um, potentially anyway, um, or it's programmatic. It, it's going into that media space where or digital space where those kinds of resources can sit quite comfortably in-house. Um, in fact, a client will generally pay more than an agency would uh, for the resource itself without having the agency markup, for instance. Um, so we're seeing a little bit of that. In terms of the bigger strategic and creative ideation, though, I'm yet to see um, an example of that within my business or our business where that's going into a client. I think the big, our big clients, both here in Australia and globally, are actually... Um, more interested now than our ideation, our creative thinking and applying that to business problems, not just comms, than ever before. So I'm super excited about going higher up the food chain and using our creative firepower to solve business problems outside of communications than I've ever been. And if that's at the expense um, of some work that could be automated or done more efficiently or better in clients, then so be it. Because mm. one of the things that um, is happening is that clients are looking at the agency and the total package that the agency offers. And yeah. it's not necessarily seeing value at every part of that, which is why, you know, you mentioned production. Production is one of those key areas where they'll commonly, and in fact, some of the holding companies are building specialist production uh, units mm-hmm. to actually take that production off their own agencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but I'm seeing that across um, other networks. Um, it hasn't really affected the Omnicom network yet, but you've got three quite big group agencies in their own not right within the Omnicom network in Australia, with um, obviously Clemenger BBDO and BDB and TBWA being the three main um, groups, which have all got their group resources in it, and we tend to compete as a group against a WPP or a publicist who have local management structures in Australia, whereas Omnicom doesn't. So, um, but look, what the growth and the questions that we're getting asked is more about full service communications from clients. Yeah. Um, we, we tend to attract, attract a scale of client in the larger um, scale, uh, like the big banks and so on. And <clears throat> they're more than ever before interested in how do we provide a holistic solution for them, which production is just way down the end of it. How do we provide strategic and creative ideas that span any media, right? Um, And then they might choose to execute certain elements of that themselves. Okay, we'll get back to the holistic offering. Mm -hmm. Let's just focus on production again, because one of the things that uh, my business partner in the US, Michael Mm -hmm. Farmer, Mm -hmm. has discovered is from 95 to 2015, agency fees have effectively dropped in real terms by about 60 to 65%, right? So the fees paid to agencies. Really? At the same, in real terms. Right. Right? So the value of what they're paying Mm -hmm. is dropping. But at the same time, the outputs of those relationships, so the numbers of 
things done by the agency right. has actually gone up almost exponentially. And the right. reason for that is, and you mentioned it before, all of the new channels. Yeah. So, you know, whereas you would make a TV campaign, you know, in the days of the consumer package goods, yep. you make a TV campaign and five or six other channels. Yep. Today, you've got Facebook, Instagram, you know, you've got a thousand updates Yep. on a daily basis across different target audiences, uh, even those that are getting into personalization, they mm -hmm. want to be able to personalize to a million customers. Yep. You know, and so suddenly the outputs of the agency, production, mm -hmm. is exponentially large. Mm -hmm. Now, the traditional agency model is quite linear. Mm -hmm even in production. It is literally like a production line. Mm -hmm. I know it's a creative production line, but it's still a production line. Yeah. To scale like that is expensive. It is. But then the, at the same time, the rise of te technological solutions in terms of production has increased as well. So, you know, just, just last week, I think we did 160 variants overnight um, for a particular uh, campaign and a particular client which in the old days would have taken us days and days and days and many heads of resource doing that manual process. And now we can automate that particular process. But just that in itself grates a little with me as well, because this proliferation of media is all well and good. But then what does it mean about the content in each of those media? And is that content really specifically designed for that media? I mean, if you just think about the way that you consume media day to day, how much of it is deeply personal to you and how much of it moves you full stop to actually act? Or is it just ticking a box in, in the thousands and thousands of elements that go into a typical media plan? So that's a challenge again I've got is it's all well and good to have all of this media, all of this deep personalization, but where's the content? What do they call that? Spray and play, uh, pray, you know, Absolutely. sort of just load it all up or and hopefully it'll hit the target we somewhere. All, we can all see it, you know, I can jump on a website because someone told me to have a look and then that thing follows me for the next three weeks trying to sell to me. I wasn't even interested in the first place, I was just told to have a look. So look, the, there are, yeah, spray and play is a great, is a great term because automation the amount of production that we, that we have to complete now for the price that's being demanded by procurement departments and all that sort of thing is worrisome because all it does is just what is the most efficient way to get this crap out as opposed to this media demands that we have a bespoke relationship with it and that it's a brilliant op creative opportunity to move people into action. So um, to go back to the holistic <laughs> approach, and I think you know, you're mentioning about media channels and the choice of media channels. It's around the time or probably uh, just before you started at DDB um, that we separated media from creative. Yep. Before that, you know, when I started as a copywriter yep. in the mid 80s at JWT, they just taken the media department that used yep. to be JWT Media yep. and turned it into Mindshare. Oh, We're still in the office. OMD, same, yeah. same thing. So. So, so that's when it happened. Mm. Now clients are complaining because the channel and the content mm. are still very separate. Yeah. Now to get the two to work together, yeah. is uh, they find incredibly difficult. Yeah, look, some clients are complaining, not all of them, because no one's, none of my clients are complaining about it. So that's, that's an interesting point, I think. Maybe they don't think you've got the solution. <laughs> <laughs> well, because believe me, there's a lot of people out there yeah. talking about the... There's a lot of people talking putting, about it. Putting the 
toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah. And I think that was uh, Harold Mitchell's quote. He said, <laughs> once you've separated, you can't put the toothpaste <laughs> back in the tube. You know? a very smart man, Harold. Um, look, I just simply, I think back 20 and 30 years and go, was the work exponentially better then than it is now? No, I don't believe it is, right? So that's my first point. My second point is, I think it comes down to the scale of the clients again. We, we are very lucky to have OMD and PhD amongst others in our, in our Omnicom network. Both are excellent agencies and we work with them on some of our clients. McDonald's and Volkswagen would be a good, two good examples. But equally, we're working with many other media agencies in Australia. For instance, Westpac, who have a bespoke media agency embedded in their business. And I think in all of these relationships, it comes down to the expectations that are set by the CMO and the group, right? Which is you will respect one another's relationship in our business and we expect you to work together and strategically solve our solutions together. So for example, McDonald's, OMD, DDB, and VML, for that matter, are in it together. Every single week, we're at one of our offices with marketing team and the three agencies in together, working on strategies, sharing work with each other. We share work with, the agencies share work with each other before it goes back to McDonald's, and we come back as a, as a dedicated group. And they are, for me, the best relationships. The same goes for for Westpac and for Volkswagen as well. They are the best relationships where you've got a great culture at the heart of that relationship, clear expectations, and no one's trying to cut each other's lunch, right? So that's that, that's that's the first part, and that is a very, very happy and successful way to do it. The other piece that it gives... So, sorry, I just... Um, uh, because you're all competing for a share of budget, though, Not in really. a way. No, no, I don't think so. Well, in that, uh, one of the big hassles is that media will say to the client to get the sort of reach and frequency they need against Mm -hmm. the target audience, they need a certain amount of money and creatively, you need an amount of money to actually create a piece of communication that's going to engage the audience Mm -hmm. because there's no point having reach and frequency if there's no Mm -hmm. engagement. And then whether it's digital channels versus traditional versus, you know, everyone's got a perspective. How do you get that sort of alignment because I think this is the real challenge. Mm. It's not so much that you know, you've all got the right attitude. Mm. There is actually something intrinsic in getting agencies to actually work together. So what is it? Well, first of all, for these for the scale of these type of clients, they're mostly fee-based. So the removal of the bottom line piece goes away, more or less, right? There's also at scale, you generally have a budget where there are we, we know that we need to spend about this amount to achieve our goals and that's going to cost this in terms of production. So those things really come up as well. Um, but the other, the big important piece is there's this lovely little tension that goes on, which I think actually can make the work better at the end of the day. So this little tension between media and an agency and the, the, the where you get to strategically and creatively can be a very powerful thing with that little bit of tension. I think if you bring it in-house, it could be a little self-serving, right? And I, I, that's just why I'm not hearing these questions. It's not whether I could potentially do it. I've got the scale of this business to be able to get into media if I wanted to. I just don't want to. I don't think my clients are interested because we're getting reasonably good results. We're getting very good results, I think, 
in, um, across these across these client bases. So there's this tension that exists between an agency, a media rate, and a media agency in terms of getting to a strategy, which I think is powerful and 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 really interesting. And I think if you bring it in house, I, I think there's a scale issue for those that are touting it's it's coming back. I, I, I mean, I can't think of a. You can you can probably correct me here, Darren, but I can't think of a major Australian brand. I can think of plenty of mid-sized range clients and smaller clients, and then I would talk. And look, and it it, it does appeal to that mid-range yeah, and smaller absolutely. client because there's a level of convenience. Absolutely, having whether you call it one throat to choke one throat or one to throat, one, one point of strategic. Uh, contact mm. that makes it quite good. Mm. I, I do get your point though, because you know when media was in house, mm. there, there could still be that tension, but the client would never see it. Mm. First of all, mm. and secondly, uh, invariably, whoever had the loudest voice in the agency <laughs> would win. So whether it was the creative director who wanted to go and shoot overseas, so needed the extra budget that was going <laughs> to take three or four hundred thousand out of media, mm. which meant that the client wouldn't get their roadblock on a. Mm. Sunday night. You know, mm. these were the types Absolutely. of things. Whereas, but now media is much more complicated. I mean, yes. these ideas of uh, a Sunday night roadblock, I'm, I'm sure seven, nine, and 10 would like to think that, <laughs> you know, that's how media was still decided. But, you know, the decision about what uh, digital channels, how you're going to use them, wh what role mobile plays, these are all big, that's complex right. issues. Now, I think it's probably just a reflection, too, of the fact that as a media agency and an agency and a creative agency working together where we're not just looking at briefs anymore we're looking at the entire customer experience of which the brief was just one part of that right so if you are looking at the entire customer experience you're looking really at the the use of data um, and one-to-one and -one relationships and how they can be influential you've got the thousands of digital opportunities that apply across that um, including you, the very own channels of the client right and who's responsible for them and how are they integrated with this work and then we're going as far as you know looking at how do we invent product solutions right to better um, deliver on that customer experience for clients so that's where it's get really interesting and if you've got your media agency and your creative agency in there together and really nutting that out and fighting that out and that healthy tension, I think it can be really powerful. Now, I saw, uh, it was only recently, an announcement by OMD or Omnicom Media Group in Australia that they're replacing M2M mm -hmm. with the Hearts and Sciences brand mm -hmm. um, in Australia. Mm -hmm. uh, that must uh, be an interesting transformation because one of the great things about Hearts and Sciences is they're such a data driven business, media business. Mm -hmm. So that would potentially change that relationship because instead of thinking of putting the chew back into the toothpaste, <laughs> going back to the old model of creative and media side by side, you're actually starting to look at uh, hearts and sciences with their access to data and data analytics being a really important strategic starting point on these projects to actually inform the creative brief. Yeah, yes and no. So yes for their clients, fantastic, brilliant. Um, but again, we're tending to work as full service solutions where track would already be potentially delivering that for a client where we're already working with either OMD or somebody else. So I think it's a great thing for OMD to be doing and to getting into, but we've obviously had a successful business in that space for, for some time. Do we get into the media side of it, like, for instance, uh, CHE, 
um, are doing, or it seems that they're doing, uh, by press releases. So Chris is a very smart guy, um, and he seems to be building a media function in his business. Um, I think that's he's just going slightly adjacent to his sweet spot, so specialisation in data and technology uh, and the importance of that across his client base. I can see how he can naturally build a media solution off the back of that um, from brands and the scale of clients in that space who are interested, so I can see that. Um, But from our point of view, yeah, not interested in in that space at the moment. So coming back to... Um, sorry, I got lost there a bit. Coming back to um, the hearts and science piece, I think much of what they're going to be offering there, we're already offering here. So are they going to be competing with us? Well, I don't think so. So so you've already got that embedded in... Yeah, d- what data planning and analytics and all that sort of piece has been embedded in our business. It's what I ran when I first started at DDB. Um, that you know the Rap Collins business it was called in those days is now called Track, um, and that's an important function across all of our client um, bases retained across those businesses. Yeah, I think um, especially when I've had those conversations in the US, you know, there's quite a few of the media companies, mm. Hearts and Sciences yep. is one, yep. um, MDC Media yep. Partners is right. another one. They're actually accessing huge amounts of data that's mm. only available to a media agency in that you can imagine the data that comes from all of the publisher data. So Mm -hmm. all of the information around target audiences, their whole internet behavior, Mm -hmm. all of that is getting piled in and then they're adding it to all the proprietary Mm -hmm. data and, and that type of thing. So we're actually seeing the media agencies themselves building this capability that is a great starting point for a data-informed strategy rather than the traditional approach, which would be a research-informed strategy. Absolutely. I think it's a very interesting business for them to be getting into. They're clearly looking at, the media companies are clearly looking at revenue streams away from your traditional buying, much of which automation will pick up and take over at some point. So they're thinking about their future. And I think if you can combine the vast information of a client like a bank. You imagine what the bank has on their... Oh, if only they could access that data. Well, well, (laughs) I think they can access it. The trick is what to do with it, Mm. right? So many, many, I think all the banks would go, I'm I'm overloaded with data, right? There's too much of it. The trick is how do you plan for it? What, What do you do with the insights as a result of that with these vast quantities of transactional information from millions of customers that are coming through every second. What do you do with it? How do you create clusters and things that you can, at scale, deliver that's going to make a meaningful difference to your business? Now, do I need to add all the publishing data to that as well? I don't know. But I'm sure the media companies have thought very, very well, clearly about this, and I'm sure that they're thinking about their future revenue streams and how they move up the food chain in the same way that I was talking about before and create more value for their clients. Now, you talk about um, specialism versus scale. I've seen you um, mention this a few times Mm -hmm. uh, publicly Mm -hmm. and through the trade media. Mm -hmm. What's the concept there? Look, we are a full-service agency. We make um, no bones about this, but we do carry our specialist brands as well. So we have the ability to be nimble and flexible via project work for a client as opposed to the big 
all-encompassing strategic oversight and creative oversight no matter what the channel. So I suppose that's the interesting part about our business is you can choose to take a bite-sized chunk or you can choose to take the whole thing. Majority of our clients take the whole thing. Um, we are seeing, and I have been seeing, the move back to the full service agency over the past five years particularly. Um, a lot of creative agency relationships were fragmented into digital agencies and CRM agencies and uh, programmatic agencies. Sorry, full service without media. Yeah, I, I really believe that's the case, yeah. I, I, when I talk about full service, I talk about full service, strategic ideas, communications, yeah. not media. Right, because right. you know, I think we need to be clear, mm -hmm. you know, because a lot of people say full service and they mean media, other people say full service in owning the strategy and the content, mm -hmm. you know, where it's a content play. Mm -hmm. um, but channel without content is going to always fail, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, channel without the right content. Yeah, and content without channel. There's too much. There's no point having the right content yeah. if no one can find it. That's right, that's right. And, and it's not about matching luggage, right? It's not about creating an idea and just making 17,000 versions of it in the right size or format for the channel that you've got on your media plan. Mm. As I said before, it's just lazy, right? I'd prefer to see us choosing way less, but more potent messaging in, our, in, in way less, but more potent media. Okay. So where do you see the future then for agencies that are either just specialists you know, just offer a specialist mm -hmm. offering without being part of this, mm -hmm. or those that have gone down the path of trying to be everything to everyone offering all Well, I think be one or the other. I think if you're in the middle, you've got a big problem, right? So I think either be a full service communications business and target the scale of those clients who are requiring that at the moment, or be a brilliant, brilliant specialist, but don't try to be anything more than that. And hope that you get bought by someone. Because <laughs> isn't that why you start a specialist agency, think, is to grow it and then sell? <laughs> I think you'd call a CRT Proximity, I think you'd call a Lavender, great specialist businesses yeah. who know exactly who they are and what they do. And they're very, very good at it. Very, very good at it. And yes, they expand into you know, broader, broader aspects of CX or, in, in Chris's case, even media, right? But they are brilliant and they've got data and technology at their heart and everyone knows that and they are specialists, specialists in that. And that's why they're successful. Mm. So are they, I don't know, Chris has got, he's wholly owned by Omnicom, but is Will Lavender dying to be bought? I don't know, wouldn't have a clue. I think for years, uh, Will's been hanging out for the right price. I don't think so. No, no think one's Will's ever come up with the right, right <laughs> price. Yeah. <laughs> he knows what his business is worth. He does, but, and that's uh, what I mean by being great specialist businesses. And there's, an, there's going to be exactly the same role for the Clemenges and DDBs and TVWAs of this world to be great full service agencies in their own right as well. Excellent. Well, look, uh, Andrew, thanks for sitting down and having a chat. Well, good, Darren. Nice to spend some time with you. But uh, coming up for 20 years, that must be an awful lot of uh, long service leave you've got, Owen. Uh, <laughs> have you uh, started making plans for how you're going to spend it? <laughs>